Hey everyone, welcome to the Bucks, Bulls, and Bows podcast. I'm your host, Rod White. It is November 1st, actually the evening of November 1st, and uh, many of you have experienced some pretty heavy winds over Saturday and Sunday. I had my kiddo with me. I get him every other weekend, so uh, this weekend was off the books for me, which is just fine with all the wind that we had. I'm completely okay with that. But uh, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm, I should say I'm hoping, I'm expecting that a lot of you that listen to the podcast uh, previous to this one, I talked a lot about how a lot of your bucks are starting to daylight quite a bit on the cameras. If you've checked your cards and you don't have cell cameras, obviously you have cell cameras. You've been watching this all week. But a lot of your bucks probably have started daylight. And we are uh, right in the midst of the pre-rut. Um, over the course of the next week, this is, uh, as I mentioned in the last podcast, it's a phenomenal time to capitalize on specific deer that you have um identify it either through scouting whether it's classing or running trail cameras or whatever the case may be um i'm gonna even say it's a great time it's it's your last opportunity to to capitalize on that so um kind of keep that in mind but i've gotten some questions about thermals wind directions how the wind affects animals especially obviously since we had a lot of uh crazy winds how they specifically affect whitetails um and, and there is a, an effect on them. Certain times of the year are more profound than others. Obviously, if you're outside of this pre-rut time period early in the season or late in the season, super high winds will definitely lay down animals for sure. Um, they will seek areas in which they have some cover. That may be a drainage ditch. That may be um, edge of a bluff type thing. Um, could even be really in a, in a wide open field with a little bit of a depression that provides some type of protection from that wind. That's something for... Um, for sure that not just mature whitetails, even quite honestly, uh, whitetails in general, kind of seek out. Um, hang on one second. I'll put this on Do Not Disturb so I don't get any phone calls. I've got another podcast uh, I'm going to be doing here with the guys from Element Outdoors. Super great guys, Casey and Tyler. Um, I'll put a link to them. Um, I don't know if I'll be able to get it done in this podcast or not because I'm, I'm kind of waiting for their phone call right now. They're skipping across West Texas and they gave me a shout. So that should be a pretty good podcast. Um, but right now to, to cover the wind topic that uh, a lot of you have asked me about, um, yeah, I, I covered specifically mature buck bedding areas in reference to the wind. Um, as we work through this week, you're really going to be wanting to focus your attention, which you should have been anyways on bedding areas in the mornings and feeding areas at night, uh, with the, with the exception of, and some of you have hopefully heard me say this on that podcast earlier, that I'm starting to also focus on scrape areas inside the timber before those deer would head out into a crop field. Um, what you'll see now is um, over the next week or so, maybe not even the next three or four days, I would say, you're going to see a lot of bucks that are bumping does around in those food sources, running them completely out of there in some cases, sometimes chasing them, sometimes not. You might see them completely lose interest in those does right away and just come right back in the field, kind of start nibbling around a little bit and then kind of go on their merry way. Um, that's very typical behavior that you're going to see happening. And as we get towards the end of the week and we get into November, uh, 7th through the 10th, you're going to start to see bucks really dogging does. I mean, really, really dogging them, getting on their tail, um, and following them. The end of this week, you'll, you may even see multiple bucks on does. Some of you may have already seen this again, does can come into estrus, uh, early, earlier than the rest of the majority of them will come in. Uh, start coming in the 7th through the 10th, which leads to the breeding process, which is about the uh, 10th or 11th through the 14th-ish. That's what we call a lockdown phase. For those of you who haven't been through that yet, it, it kind of sucks, not going to lie. You've got to 
really um, change your tactics quite a bit when we get to that time period. But we've got some time. We'll go over that information as we get to that time period, obviously. Um, in regards to the, the, the thermals and how they work, and I, I don't mean to sound so basic because almost everybody knows this, I'm sure, but I've got questions. So um, those questions I've got through direct messages, I want to make sure I answer them. I want to make sure everybody really understands where I'm coming from with a lot of this and understands even the basics if you've never heard it before. So have some grace for those of you who are expert hunters to already know a lot of this. But hot air rises, cold air falls. Um, that is especially uh, true in country like a lot of the Midwest has. And again, depending on where you're at in the country, I grew up in Western Pennsylvania. In Western Pennsylvania, we had a lot of farm country, which was pretty similar to Iowa, but a lot more timber. And I hunted a lot in the mountains, in the Allegheny Mountains, uh, up around Tynes, that was a town that I hunted near. Some of you might recognize that from out east. But up in those mountains, you dealt a lot, a lot with thermals. And I didn't fully understand how they worked until I went elk hunting. Then I started really grasping how thermals worked. And then further understood how they affect uh, deer specifically when I started hunting Alberta with a guy named Jim Holt Jr., uh, classic outfitters up in Alberta. One of the one of the highest quality operations I could ever recommend in my entire life. And I don't normally hunt with outfitters at all. Jim is one of like probably three that I've hunted with in my whole entire life. Um, but in Alberta, you can't hunt without an outfitter. You have to have a guide. Uh, so Jim was the key to access. He was also a fellow pro staffer with me at Gore-Tex. And, um, at the time we were using a lot of suppressing gear. Uh, so I got to know Jim through that, um, team atmosphere that we had at Gore-Tex, which was still to this day, one of the best pro staffs I've ever been on in my entire life. They spent a lot of time educating us on fabrics and how they work exactly. Um, and anyways, make a long story short. Uh, I watched how thermals and how winds in the coolies affected uh, mule deer specifically. It's really not that much different than how it affects whitetail. And that's where I started like really relating a lot of the things I saw in open country mule deer to uh, whitetails back in the Midwest, which may sound kind of crazy, but it's really not. The landscape looks different, but it's not that different really. Um, up there, we were hunting along, uh, I think it was a Peace River, I think it was called. Um, Maybe it wasn't there. Medicine Hat River, sorry. Uh, Peace River was up north for Whitetails. I did some of that, I believe, up there. Um, but the Medicine Hat stuff, uh, the river that run through there, um, I don't know if that's Medicine Hat River. I'm getting all, sorry, off sidetracked, off topic. But there were a lot of coolies that were similar to what you see here in the Midwest in that um, you're mainly hunting most of your brush and timber is down in, in the coolies themselves. In our case, in the Midwest, it's the drainages that run through the farm ground. Same type of scenario, maybe a little bit more rolly on top, um, but watching how the winds rolled around there and, and why those bucks specifically bedded where they were, and deer in general bedded where they were, um, they they were very, very consistent in the, the habits that they had if you got to those beds. Um, if we had a northwest wind, you would think that like we tend to look at a map here in the Midwest and look at the Northwest one and go, okay, well, these are the stand locations I have because that wind's going to be blowing to the Southeast and that's going to probably blow out all those deer, but the deer are going to be feeding over in this direction, maybe to the East. I can get away with that wind a little bit cutting across there at an angle. But what you may not take into account is the fact that the topography itself and the thermals that are in the area specifically are affected by that. This week, we've got a lot of southerly winds coming up, and I don't know that for a fact. I'm looking at the fact that we have a lot of warmer temperatures, which typically means southerly winds. 
um, southeast to southwest type winds. If we got some moisture coming in, you'll see it go a little bit more east uh, for the most part. But those winds themselves, as general winds, um, looking at how they roll across the landscape, when they hit these little cuts and these little ditches, um, they will, uh, in some cases, go completely the opposite. They'll swirl down below them and come back up. When you're hunting the mountains or when you're hunting even this bluff country type stuff, say you're hunting in northeast Iowa, for example, or, or Wisconsin, when the wind's blowing super stiff across the top of a mountain, that wind blows across the mountain down the leeward side and it makes a circle and swoops way down below you and then comes back up, which is why some of you may have experienced if you're hunting ridges, for example, whether you're whatever environment you're hunting in, when you're hunting a ridge and you have that wind blowing across the ridge, you'll have deer below you pick you off and you, you sit there and wonder how in the world could that possibly happen because my wind should be blowing way over top of them clean. Mm. I'm going to tell you, you have to be extremely high for that wind to be really, really clean and not be swirling down around and come up um, around below you. It can bite you. Um, there are pockets in there that you can pull that off of at different heights. You have to be aware of those. The only way really to know is to carry, um, I, which I'm not a big fan of the powders, but you can carry some powder out there, uh, that the puffers that you puff essentially like baby powder. Um, some of them even have estrus in them. I mean, you can see a cloud of of puff uh, of whatever material they have in there kind of float out and kind of circle down, but they fade too fast for me. So um, if you're here in the Midwest, uh, pick up, if you, if you see them, you see it a lot in, uh, seems like you see it a lot more in aquatic type areas, but you can get some stuff called milkweed or there is some synthetics out there. I'm sorry. I don't know the name of any, any of them off the top of my head, but those little light fluffy things, you can pull those out and let them float and then watch them and, and watch them obviously for a long time, sometimes even with optics if necessary, and watch what that wind does. Um, I would strongly encourage, if you've never done that before, uh, to take some time in your next set and watch how that um, how that works. Just take a whole bunch of them. I mean, one milk pot will last you an awful long time. Milkweed pot, just take them out, let them go, and watch how they float. And watch them with the optics. See what they do as they cruise on down um, through different elevations. It, it sounds kind of crazy if you've never really paid attention to it before, but even just a few feet and change in elevation can change the way that that wind is rolling or your scent is rolling around those curves, around those areas. So for me, that's why I've really more so taken up to saddle hunting uh, than what I have stand hunting. Although I, I would love to get my hands on a lone wolf custom gear, a 1.0 or a 0.5, um, but it's not in the cards for me this fall. I spent quite a bit of money messing with sticks and a lot of other things. Um, and I just, I don't have the resource, nor can you get them fast enough uh, for, well, tomorrow I'm going to start hunting again all day since. So um, I'm going to roll with what I got. But for now, um, like I say, if you, you get up in a stand, you've got something you can you can get out there. That's like a, those milkweed pods, let it float around and watch it and, and start to learn and understand. It will take you some time. It's not like you're going to figure those out in a day. You're not going to figure it out in a week. But if you consciously remind yourself every time you're out, to play with that a little bit, watch those wind currents, see how they affect um, those little floaters or whatever it is that you have, synthetic floaters or milkweed, you're going to start learning a lot more about what makes your scent go up or come down. It's also why so many times people will claim that, oh, I had a deer downwind to me and that deer never smells me, never smelled me. I, I get away with it all the time, blah, blah, blah. Well, you probably did because of the way the thermals were reacting and the thermals were overtaking the, the wind itself. Um, which can happen quite a bit in the mornings, uh, before the sun comes up, 
a lot of your scent is going to be being driven down towards the ground. Hotter rises, colder falls. It's going to be going down. And it's going to find all those cracks and crevices or drainages. It's going to follow them down, especially if you have a creek down below you. The work that 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 wind that scent will work its way all the way down those cracks and crevices um, until it eventually hits the water source. And depending which way that water source is running and how cool it is compared to the air outside, it's going to follow that creek uh, more than likely on down. As the sun starts to rise, the sun's going to start warming up the, the air. As soon as that sun breaks the horizon, um, it seems like we have about a half an hour where it just seems like it's colder than as cold as it's possibly going to get on you. And then all of a sudden it starts to warm up. When that warm up starts, that sun starts to warm up that air. That that, that air is actually going to start starting up higher and working its way down lower. It's going to start to rise more and more and more. It's the reason why I feel like I get away with. A lot of people will not set in places where a lot of uh, uh, ridges come down together into a bottom. Well, depending on the time of the day that you're hunting at, it's absolutely true. But midday hours, especially when that sun's high and when when you've got a little bit of warmth going on your your sense rising up in the air especially when you don't have much for wind currents on a slow day when you have you know one to three mile per hour winds boy that that those thermals are pushing your scent up in the air as long as that sun's up and as long as it's warming up the air you can get away with absolutely craziness that you wouldn't think you normally could but if you try to go in there in the early morning hours, you're trying to hunt those first thing in the morning, it may not work out for you or in the evening for whatever. You, you just really have to experiment. You have to take a lot of notes. And some of you have heard me say this before. Carry a notebook with you. Even if you just, when you get to the truck, start writing down those notes or put it in your phone. This is what happened to me this day. This is the weather conditions. This is the wind direction. This is the temperature. All that information, if you journal all that and take the time to do that, you will be able to use that information later to your success, but most people won't do it. So um, I would highly encourage you. I say this all the time in the seminars I give around archery shooting and general competition shooting, whether you shoot recurves or compounds or whatever the case may be, take a lot of notes. You, you can't, and it seems like when you write things down, they burn into your brain a little more. So I tend to write things down when I can. Um, and I've done that since I was young, since I was hunting all across the Midwest. And, and really all across the West, even I would, I would jot down notes in a little tiny notebook I would take with me, a little three by five kind of notebook, that extra little bit of weight in my pack was worth gold to me. Um, so take a lot of notes. Um, you know, you're going to have to learn these for yourself, especially in your own hunting areas. If you hunt the same areas all the time, maybe you have a piece of private ground, you've got some stands that are your favorite stands, take some notes. Hey, the wind was out of the Northwest today. And, uh, well, it was out of the Northwest. I was sitting in a stand location and it seemed to really want to come out of the South. Um, and this was the wind speed and this is the time of day that was happening. But when it got to 10 o'clock, it changed up part of being in a saddle a lot or hunting with an ultra mobile setup is that I can climb down and go to any tree I want to like, really, like I can, I can, I can hunt core areas or, or I don't say core areas that relates to deer behavior. I want to say, um, you can hunt zone areas. And by zone areas, I mean, for me now, I've, and it's taken me a long, a long time to learn that uh, most of the mature bucks that I've killed have not been off of trails whatsoever. They're never on a trail. So in a lot of cases, if I had just backed off those trails, in some cases I might've been, I should say, not a lot, but in some cases I would have been more successful if I was more cognizant of what I was doing with the wind per se and where my shooting lanes were than actually sitting up, setting up on trails themselves, which is probably a topic for a different podcast. But 
Um, right now, I'm hunting a lot of zone areas, what I call zone areas. I'm hunting areas where I can shoot, and I know that bucks are likely to travel through, but there may or may not be trails in there. Um, in the evenings, I am looking for fresh scraped areas. If I come across, if I'm hunting in the morning, I get out of my stand or I get out of my location, I'm starting to head back to the truck, and I come across a bunch of hot sign, you better believe I'm going to be hunting there that night. It's likely that that deer is still in that area really close to there. Um, I've capitalized a lot on that. But those days are coming to an end in the next three or four days, and you're going to have to start really hunting zones, areas that you know that does are um, frequent in and where bucks are going to start pushing those does into a little more secluded areas when they do um, get on their tails and really start chasing them. Um, again, you've got like three or four days till that time period starts to hit. Right now, focus your evening hunts over scrapes um, that are very fresh, very, very, meaning like that morning fresh that you've come across um, in your scouting. Uh, be quick and mobile in your setups, especially when you're hunting public lands. And uh, for those of you hunting that private lands, capitalize on those those stand locations. Don't be afraid to get into bedding areas right now because you, in another three or four days, well, probably another five or six days, you're going to start to lose those bucks that have been in your home core area for a long time, more than likely. And when they start roaming, they're going to be gone and you're going to be scratching your head wondering what in the world happened. The lockdown must be here. And the next thing you know, your buddies are going to be calling you. Um, saying the rut's over and everybody's going to be frustrated and everybody's going to want to quit when the reality of it is some of the best hunting is about to come upon us right after that time period but it's a long long sit in a tree not seeing any of the deer that you had on camera disappear completely from from your uh, radar so anyways i hope that made sense um I, I i just can't give you specific details obviously because everybody's in a different situation when it comes to wind um, I, I can promise you though, that if you really pay attention over the next, the course of the next couple seasons, you'll really start to understand how thermals are, uh, affect your wind conditions and how wind conditions are affected across various types of landscapes, regardless of whether you're hunting in, in coolie country up in Montana and Idaho and, and parts of Canada, or whether you're hunting the mountains in Pennsylvania, or whether you're hunting the plains in the Midwest. Um, that information will serve you well all year long. Good luck, everybody. Uh, make sure you're wearing your harnesses. I know a lot of you are probably taking off this week to hunt, and I think that's a really good call. So um, just be safe out there. Uh, nobody wants to hear stories about anybody falling and getting hurt. So good luck, everyone, and uh, we'll catch you, catch you soon. See ya. Bye.